Yeah, spring is here, and it is beautiful. But with that growth, with that change, there comes, it's, comes some hardship. And for many of us, uh, the allergies remind us of that, right? Um, this, last, this last week, went on a, a, a hike with some guys from church and fell twice. Fell twice. Yeah, it was, yeah. My friends laughed. Uh, r- real friends here actually said uh, some sympathy there. Right? And every time I go on a hike like that, it's not a good hike unless you go through some difficult things. Like that's a part of it. You're going to challenge yourself to get to good things this side of heaven, to get to beautiful things. There's a journey. And we talked about that last week. As this church continues to walk into what God has called us growing bigger um, by growing smaller, that we must decrease so God can increase, that we believe that we're going to be a part of a church planning network. And the first uh, leg of that is uh, Clinton Maggie Coyan going to Ecuador. Um, if you weren't here last week and you did not pay attention uh, to the live feed, you're welcome. This is news to you. Um, and it's not going to be April Fool's on Thursday. Um, we're, we're doing this, and there, there's some pruning that happens in that. There's some growth. It's, it's going to be painful because we love them, but it is worth it because it is beautiful. And when we do more church plants, the same thing is going to happen. That is the theme as we look at this morning, as we, as we look at the house that God wants us to build, the churches that God wants us to build, what his kingdom looks like. There is growth and there's a journey in the life of a believer of Jesus Christ. We are to take up our cross and follow the Lord. We're not to sit back in the bleachers and just be fans of Jesus. He has commanded us to actually follow him. And it is wonderful and it is scary and it is beautiful. Amen. So this morning, that's what we're going to look at, is building God's house by growing bigger, by growing smaller. But we want to look at some uh, words of Jesus right before uh, he is crucified on the cross. And then on Easter, we celebrate that he is resurrected from the dead. And today is Palm Sunday, so we want to look at that. So turn with me to Matthew 21. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 17 today. That's going to be our primary uh, passage that we're in. And right now, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. This is Matthew 21, verse 1. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage in the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In verse 10, and when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And so we want to stop right there. So this is Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus comes into Jerusalem as a king, but he is riding on a donkey. We want to look at that. This is to fulfill scripture. 
Zechariah 9 and 9 that says, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, we, we want to look at this on how Jesus came and when he came. Like Jesus was fulfilling scripture because God is a God of his word. He doesn't, he doesn't lie about his word. He doesn't lie about his prophecy. He is fulfilling scripture. And he's coming as a king riding on a donkey. And we want to look at that and why that's important. When he came, when Jesus came, he came at a very specific time. And the Lord kind of looks at this as he's coming into the city. And if God's people at that time really would have been in his word, they would have known the Messiah has to come at this time, the very time that Jesus comes. And we see this in Daniel 9.24, which says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy." So from the time that Daniel gives his prophecy about 490 years later, if they're really watching scripture, they know the Messiah is to come right now, right? And then he's, he's fulfilling all the other promises and these signs and wonders. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead not, not, not too long before this, right? And so, so people are realizing and they're, and, they're, and they're seeing this king come in. But he's on a donkey. So when he came was important, but how he came is important. A king who comes as a baby lives 33 years. He teaches to wash the disciples' feet. A king that does that, that washes his disciples' feet, preaches the first will be last and the last will be first. To turn the other cheek, that's a hard one for me. To love your enemies, it gets harder. It's a blessing to give. To forgive as you have been forgiven. Blessed are the meek. And his big moment is on a donkey. Are we ready for that, Jesus? Are we ready for that, Jesus, who comes in humility and gentleness? Are we ready for that king, for that leader? Would we put that leader on our football team? Would he be our quarterback, right? Would he be our point guard for our basketball team? Would he be our designated hitter for our baseball team? I'm running out of sports analogies, right? But would we put that type of leader, when you're just looking at who to follow, would they have these characteristics in our Western thinking in an American way? We don't always understand what is powerful. Are we ready to follow this Jesus? And I will tell you, as a red-blooded American man who's into sports and hunting and fishing and, and backpacking, there, those are some things that I have to wrestle with. Yes, Jesus is the lion, and we're going to look at that, but he's also the lamb. And if he is Lord and Lord of all, I must follow him in all things, not just the easy things. And as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he's riding on this donkey, the crowd starts to stir because they know who he is. He has a great following because of some signs and wonders, some things that the Lord did. And if you know Jesus' ministry, the crowds get big and then Jesus says something difficult. 
The crowds get big because good things are happening, and then Jesus does something that's difficult and steps on their toes. And we don't say amen to that. We say, oh, ouch, right? Because we do that too, right? And they are, they are proclaiming Psalms 118, 25 that says, oh, Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, grant us success. They're calling him the son of David. They're saying he is the Messiah, but it is their version of the Messiah that they want, not the biblical one. Right? Does that resonate with us as God's people, as Americans, as Midwesterners? We cry out to Jesus and we say he is king, but do we want all of his kingship in our life or just that that is easy for us to digest? They are saying, save us now. And their lens was skewed. They didn't want to forgive. They had zero interest in being last. Meek? To be meek? That is not what they were interested in. What did they want? What did they want? What do sometimes we want? They wanted to be on top again. And they missed the forest for the trees. See, they were more worried about the check that was going to come. They were, war- they were more ready for the mass to come off. They wanted all this free, whatever analogy you want to put out there, right? They saw the Messiah as, okay, now he's going to be this king. Okay, yeah, he's riding on a colt. That's fulfilling scripture. But no, Jesus, save us now. Son of David, save us. We know who you are. Save us now. Let's kick all the Romans out, right? And they miss the forest for the trees. And sometimes we do too. See, their biggest need and our biggest need is the deliverance from the bondage and weight of sin. That's why we celebrate this whole week. For us to come to Jesus Christ and come to the understanding that we need a Savior and that he is the Savior, we must understand what our greatest need is to be delivered from the bondage of sin. Amen? You can have all the money in the world and all the food you could ever need, every pleasure fulfilled. But if you are separated from God, then what do you have? Right? And because of Jesus, we're not separated from God. Right? That's why we don't take lightly the cross. We don't take lightly this week as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the crucified, risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. It is a huge deal. It is everything. We are not separated from him, but sometimes we distance ourselves from him because we too struggle with the gentleness of God, the humility of our Savior, Do we celebrate his characteristics as the lamb? And soon these people will go from Hosanna, son of David, to crucify him in just a few days. Why? Well, number one, it needed to happen, and it was God's plan for the rescue of humanity, which is why we call this Friday, and we hope you come to the Good Friday service. Why do we call it Good Friday? When if you are not a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you're like, this is good? Your Savior is dying on a cross? This God is dying on a cross? What God would do that? What powerful, all-knowing being would do that? This is his plan? Right? The world, like you, they should think you're crazy if it's not true. Because it's true. 
It is absolutely beautiful and wonderful, and our worship is due for it. Amen? So number one, it needed to happen. It's God's plan for the rescue of humanity. Number two, what was their struggle? Just like our struggle. We want to be God. We make God an our image rather than celebrating we are made in his image and he is the creator and his way is best. They wanted a savior that was going to put them on top. We struggle with that now in our day and time. We call it the prosperity gospel. And there is prosperity in following the Lord. There's blessings in following the Lord. But it's not about the prosperity alone. Because when he's king of kings and lord of lords, you worship all of him. Timothy Keller says this, when you say, come in Jesus as my caregiver, but stay out as my Lord, he can't because he's both. So this Jesus riding on a donkey, as they're saying, Hosanna, 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 save us now. We kind of like this Jesus. We'll put up with this Jesus. We might not make him the leader of anything that we would do in our lives, Right? We're around him-ish as Americans. And I hope you wrestle with that. Yes, we, have, we live in a day and time that understands more this love side of Jesus. right? But there's still a part of us that, that's challenged by this. The Lamb of God. The gentleness who came for the sinner of sinners. Who came for the worst of worse. And would love you as much as he was, loves them. There's no partiality in in the Lord. He is good. He is kind. He is gentle. We must celebrate that and understand that is powerful. The next part we want to look at is in verses 11 through 17. And so Jesus, on Sunday, he he goes into the temple and now we're going to look, but the Gospel of Matthew teaches that we believe happened on Monday. And in verses 11 through 17, it says, the, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the, uh, the benches of those selling doves. Says, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Verse 16, do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of the children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany where he spent the night. We want to look at this. I had this labeled, this part that happens on Monday is the Lord's house. So we see the character of the Lord as he fulfills scripture and he comes in in this humble way, which was exactly opposite of the Roman world and the culture of what you would consider success was. Jesus said, let me show you what success this side of heaven looks like. Let me show you what leaders look like. Let me show you what your savior looks like. And now we see in verses 11 through 17, he says, now let me show you what the church should look like. This is the Jesus, excuse me, that says, 
No. This is the Jesus that comes in with a whip, right? That he says how far the ocean can go. That made us male. That made us female. That gave us gravity and the earth's tilt and the seasons. All things I'm thankful for, by the way. That it gave us our distance from the sun. All these right things. And he said that there's a right and that there's a wrong. There's an absolute truth and there's an absolute wrong. And we can be certain of these things. Are we ready to follow this Jesus? This Jesus that has a righteous anger. This isn't now my homeboy Jesus, a loving Jesus. This is the lamb that is now the lion, right? Are we ready to follow that Jesus? And for some of us, the lamb is a stretch. For others of us, the lion is a stretch, but yet he is both. And what his, his first tack is the, the money changers and those that are selling the doves. And what's happening here is that people were preparing for the Passover and to worship and to repent. And money changers were ready to pounce on them. The doves from the Old Testament were for poor people who could not afford a lamb or something else. And what did they do, the money changers? They drove up the price and they targeted the poor and the widows. And Jesus says, no, this is not good. So in God's house, there are blessing and there are finances, but they're never to be skewed, right? The, the book of James talks about that, the partiality that was happening, right? In the early church, if you were rich and you had power, they're like, oh, we got the good seats for you, right? Oh, you're, 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 you maybe come from a poor and humble. Okay, we have, well, you know, you did some bad things, maybe went to prison for a little bit. Okay, we're going to put you in the back. The book of James says, no, this is not the kingdom of God. Much like Jesus when he answers the temple, and he's like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Right? Some of the things that, that we are called to do as this church is going to take finances, but not out of a manipulation of man, but out of a move of the Holy Spirit. Right? It cannot be about the finances in that way. And just like in our day and time with the prosperity teachings and some of the manipulation that happens with finances in the church, God has something to say about it. And he gets angry. And in Matthew 7, 22 and 23, one of the scariest verses for those of us that believe in a move of the Holy Spirit. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, not just a few, many. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. I believe in prophecy. I believe in healing. I believe in casting out demons. Our whole leadership does, right? But by the power and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not by our manipulation. So what is that verse in Matthew 7, 22 to 23 saying? We can get caught up in the finances and the prosperity and even in the power. And we forget that Satan has a market in those things too, which is why everything must go through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the litmus to that and what we should be about, it's why we do our Friday night worship sets. It's why we want our house churches to be praying for each other because Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. Because if they're not coming for prayer, then they're coming for the wrong things. And we need to rem be reminded of that, church. We are in a day and time. And Clint and I know this as pastors. Our elders know this. Man, we will get email after email after email after email from 
church marketing businesses or ministry marketing businesses telling us how to do church better. And it always is about marketing and looking for that target, right? And I, and I believe God works through some of those things, but we have to be careful in those things because it must be by the power of God, not, be, not by the power of man. And what is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about Isaiah 56, 7. And this is a prophecy that says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Right? It's beautiful when you look at the Old Testament and you see the gospel in the Old Testament. But also we get to see the heart of the Father. So when we come together, whether it be here, whether it be in your home, whether it be in your neighborhood, what is the essence of what you're about? To celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? To not just lightly go past the fact that you were once lost and dead, but now you are saved and alive, right? If I saw a dead person raised right now, I think I wouldn't be quiet about it, right? I'd, you know, I'd do that seventh, eighth grade uh, awkward dance jig, right? I've seen some of you worship. You got that down, right? Right? We'd be excited about it. So that always needs to be about it, which is why we're always excited about salvation. Every movement of the Holy Spirit is the point lost to Jesus. It's not the only way the Lord does it, but, but when we see God move in our prosperity, whether it be, be gifts of the Holy Spirit or our finances, we're always more excited about people being saved than those things. And those things are a tool to see people become saved and to equip the church. And prayer. See, there's one offering God cares most about. And Psalms 51.17 talks about it. This is from King David. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. It's the beauty that every sinner comes to. As they go, I have nothing to offer you, Lord, but my worship. I have nothing to offer you, Lord, but my repentance. And when you realize that we're all at that altar, that way, there's no exceptions. And may we never, no matter what the Lord does in our life, the greatness, the beauty, the fruit, may we never forget that truth. C.S. Lewis says it this way, it is in the process of being worshiped that God communicates his presence to men. And at the cross, we will worship the Lord. So we must be careful when our church worship and our church structure, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, not just Emmaus, we must be careful when it becomes something else. Even from our worship, we want it to sound good, right? But what matters more than anything is the heart behind it. We want teaching to be good, right? We do, right? But be careful, right? Because we always say things, oh man, that teaching really inspired me. That worship really inspired me. But be careful with teaching that never rattles you or challenges you. And Jesus goes in the temple and he has some harsh words. And then Tuesday, the Lord has a sermon. So we go from some Sunday to Monday, and now Tuesday, and the Lord is on a journey. And the Lord gives 
a sermon. Jesus teaches two important sermons. One on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at that from Matthew 5. And then another one to religious leaders of his time. And if we are honest, both will cut us to the bone. We have many religious leaders in here. And what we mean by that is that we're following Jesus. He's put us in leadership. And we should pay attention. Right? We should pay attention to this. So we're going to look quickly. I'm not going to go verse by verse because of time today because it's already 927. Goodness gracious. Um, we're going to look at Ma- uh, Matthew 23 and, and Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and then uh, the Sermon to the rig- Religious Leaders. Okay? We're going to look at the comparisons of this. If Jesus gives us great, great teachings. It's one of his last words that he gives to us. We want to look at some of these things. So first we're going to look at the woe, and then we're going to look at the blessing, okay? We're going to have this on the screen here in a second, okay? So, so in Matthew 23, is the Lord, you know, he comes from the temple, and now he's, he's, he's going to another place, and he's, he's speaking to the religious leaders, and he's also picking a fight. I don't know if you realize that. Like he's like, yes, they're going to crucify me because it needs to happen. But he's picking a fight, and it needs to happen because he's speaking truth. So the first thing that he tells us that we must be careful with, he says, woe to you is the door closers. Well, that's not us. We don't close the door to people. If our message is God hates you, rather than God so loved you that he gave you his son so that you could repent and know him, right? Do we see the difference in that message when we're trying to have the world be saved before they're saved? His first woe is be careful with those door closers that God hates you. And what he's saying is you don't want God and you don't want anyone else to want him either because they will soon crucify Jesus, right? Their, their intentions aren't good, right? They don't realize what they're doing. They just want to get rid of the Messiah because he has more favor than them. They just want to get rid of Jesus because people are going to Jesus rather than to them. And they're angry about it. What are the blessings that we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Isn't it so opposite? We get back with that lion and that lamb. We go to that lamb and it says, blessed are you that are poor in spirit. That will not sell t-shirts, my friends. But we got to be careful with that, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what do we believe this means? So the poor in spirit actually need a savior. They realize there's something off in this world that we live in. No matter what great things that we see or do, I don't care who you marry, I don't care how many kids you have, I don't care what's in your bank account, at some point, if you don't start saying, we need God more, then there's a problem. That's what Jesus is saying. Because those that were on the top of the food chain are like, man, there's nothing wrong with all these bad things. Yeah, there's a few bad things happening, but you know, it's all good. But the poor in spirit said, we need a savior. And depending on how they view things is how they view Jesus. And what is in their inheritance? The kingdom of God. See, God came for the sick. God came for those that need a savior. The second thing. Woe to those, and we got to be careful. They say, be like us. Woe to those that would say, be like us, and it's works motivated. Be like us, look like us. It's that Jesus plus something that we talk about often. And we take people in our religious spirit off of the journey of just, man, I'm following the Lord, and I'm following his truth, and I'm following those pillars of the faith. And like, no, actually, you need to get a haircut. 
actually, you need to, you, man, you don't, have a, you don't have a savings retirement in this way and that way. You don't, oh, you don't drive this car. You don't, oh, you don't homeschool. You don't read this. Oh, your, your Bible isn't thick enough, dude. Right? Those are legit things, right? Those are legit things. And it teaches people to be like us rather than to be like Jesus. We can't build a house on that. The contrary to that in the Sermon on the Mount, this is a blessing is those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Because Jesus is all you need. People will struggle with their faith. It's called discipleship. And what are we to do? Man, here's Jesus. Here's more of Jesus. Who's going to comfort what you're struggling with? It's Jesus. Not another, not another class, not another t-shirt, not another self-help book, but Jesus. And so when we go with our struggles, what we're saying isn't as we mourn this side of heaven. If you're not mourning at different times, or you're not mourning for other people as they mourn, are you alive? The third thing, we're going to go through this a little quickly. It tells us, like, woe to you, you blind guides. Woe to you, blind guides, right? They had so many ceremonies, so many things to make themselves clean other than the word of God, and they added to it, and they added to it. It's pride, right? We live in a day and time. Self-help books sell like crazy. Why? There's hurts, there's addiction, there's pain. We got another book for you so you can fix yourself. We got another leader that will show you how to dress, how to act, how to be, rather than God. We'll show you how to have success. It wouldn't be riding on a colt, wouldn't be riding on a donkey, would it? Wouldn't be dying on a cross. And what is the blessing that we see in the Sermon on the Mount? The meek. The meek, for they will inherit the earth. Man, I, I tell my kids, I don't tell them to be meek. I tell them to be strong, and that, which is a good thing, right? But if they are strong without humility, without gentleness, then I have raised a jerk, <laughs> right? We got to be careful that parents, right? Right? We love them to do well in everything, but do we care about their character at school? Do we care how they treat their neighbor? Like seriously, right? And, and why do we struggle with those things? Because when we're looking outside of faith, being nice doesn't pay the bills. Being nice doesn't get your scholarship, right? We have to be careful with those things because the promise of the Lord is, as you're meek, you'll inherit the earth because God says, I got your back. God says, I care most about your character than all things. Because as your character is growing, my spirit in you is growing. Watch out for those blind guides, those self-help books. Another thing, the woe, when we're all about the money, tithe, and mint. When we really believe, man, if we can just, if we can just raise up more buildings, if we can just get more costs going. I, I once heard from a, from, from a, a pastor years ago, how do you know when a church is really growing? I said, when the finances are just awesome, right? That cannot be our judge. And my friend that was a missionary at that time, he's like, man, my, my finances are terrible. And he went away being like, man, but you know what? People are being saved left and right in this ministry. We have to be careful. Finances are important, but they can't be the litmus by what we judge, and Jesus says, woe to you that are all, like the religious leaders are all about the money, the tithe, and the mint. And what is the blessing that we see in the Sermon on the Mount? That we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the promise is, you will be satisfied. We live in a world that, man, if I can just get married, 
if I can just have kids, if I can just, man, if I can just get enough to retire, if I can just get enough to get that house, and Jesus says that none of that will make you happy. If that, if that is your thing, then it will always leave. It's okay to have those things, but they can't be the thing. Woe to you who clean the outside of the cup and you ignore the inside. That's the fake it crowd. Fake it. Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are those that are merciful for you will receive mercy, which means in our house, there's grace. Not grace to produce more sin, to sin less. But if the staple isn't mercy and grace and forgiveness, then we will just fake it till we make it, right? It's one of the things this church struggles with. Like just put on your, your best Sunday suit, right? It's not what you wear on another day, right? And there was a day and time when that was honoring to generations, but we realized we don't do that as much because we realized we were just faking it, right? It wasn't honoring God. It was to look better. Just be careful with that because mercy should be your standard. The next woe to you is, and Jesus said these were whitewashed tombs, and especially in this day and, day and time, as uh, people, uh, Jewish people coming from all over the world for Passover, they had these tombs, they had these, these relics, and they would whitewash them to make them look better than what they were, much like cleaning the outside of the cup. And Jesus says, man, you whitewashed tombs, again, you look so good on the outside, but an inside. And she says, there's some lawlessness, and you point people to death. And we see people like the church struggling pointing people to death in two ways. Number one, not a zeal for God's house. You know what I'm talking about? It's all from the intellectual standpoint and none from the spirit and fire standpoint. Like we're not excited that the king of kings came down on earth to die on the cross for us and rose again on the third day and he's coming back. We're like, we just say that very monotone, right? So that's one way that we point people to death. And then in the church right now, one of the things we struggle with is pointing people to more sin. In the Sermon on the Mount, we see, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Right? You as a Christ follower and us in this church, do we walk in that way? Are we the the peacemakers? Again, do I care with, that, with my kids, that analogy, do I care more about what their GPA is or that they have a good heart? I'll, I'll just be honest. Sometimes I care. Oh, you were a, a jerk today? Oh, but what was your grades? Right? Can I get an amen like a struggle? And the last one as we close. It says, woe to you who killed the prophets of old. And you're getting ready to do it again. And, and why did they kill the prophets of old? Why did they kill the prophets of old? Because Jesus was giving, or the Lord in the Old Testament was giving a warning of sin, like repent. Like the church always is, like and no one likes the guy that tells you to repent until you need him. And as the church, we must never be afraid to be the lion that says, yeah, that's sin. We're going to say it in love. We're going to say it in kindness. But yeah, we need to repent you walk in this way, it's going to destroy you. You kill this sacredness that God has made. Yeah, that's, that's heretic teaching. No, we're not going to go with that. And, and what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? This is blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And he puts a bow, bow on it. Right? For theirs is the kingdom of God, just like the poor in spirit. 
So when we look at this and we close, we must look and take a full gulp and a full glass of who Jesus is. And there's so much to grow in, so much to learn in of who the Lord is. We're not going to get it all today. Like, oh, I learned everything that Jesus is today in 35 minutes. But if we get the understanding as we follow the Lord, he is our Lord and he is our Savior. From the gentleness of Jesus on Palm Sunday, and man, as Americans, as Westerners, man, we have to take that in and say, I need to be more like Christ. I need to walk in forgiveness and humility and gentleness. And it is a strength to say, I'm sorry, rather than being pig-headed and just, oh, I'm not, you know, no. We're just going to leave that. They need to know they're wrong. Right? They, just, they have to know. No. There is a time and place for that. But what about the gentleness? Like Jesus is walking in on Palm Sunday, riding on a colt, knowing that these same people that are saying, Hosanna, 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 son of David, he knows, like, I know what you're going to do here soon. This is the same Jesus that's on a cross that says, Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he doesn't just ask us, he commands us to walk in the same way. Are we ready to follow that Jesus? And then as we grow, are we ready to follow the Jesus that goes in the temple and has a righteous anger? He's not nice about it. For those of us that want to always be Mr. Rogers, right? And just like Care Bears, Google it, right? Whatever it would be that you're just like, oh, just always sunshine. always. No, it's not. Not if we're going to walk in a righteous way because he's also the lion. As we look on the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon to the Pharisees, we must go amen and ouch for we are both. We don't celebrate the poor in spirit, the meek, the gentle, the persecuted. We don't want to be persecuted, right? We don't want to be persecuted so much, we'll make false persecution, just to, so that, just to say that we were. Amen? Right? As we close, two questions. Number one, do you follow the Lamb? Do you follow the Lamb? And that's that, and that's that Jesus that forgives people. That Jesus that intentionally, radically came for your worst enemy. And that cuts the bone for me. That Jesus that wants you to forgive that person that you've declared in our, in our, in our movements, well, they're toxic, so I'll forgive them, but I'll never have to, anything to do with them, although they're repenting and want to reconcile. Like, no, 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 they're toxic, right? Do you follow the lamb? Do you follow the lamb? The second question, do you follow the lion who would tell us to rise up and proclaim his good news? If you guys could stand with me, we're going to close. And I encourage you to worship. Um, there's elements of the communion in the back. We have that every week um, as we celebrate the Lord's body that was given for us and his blood. As this week comes, and this is what in, in many in the church would call Holy Week, as we just prepare hearts, because we believe that the Lord is going to do amazing things this week, not just here, but all over the world. So we want to pray for salvation for people, for our people that we'd follow the Lord, that we'd grow in that, and for community, but all around the world. There would also be people that would love to pray with you as you are challenged with, do I follow the Lord as he is the lion and the lamb? Do I f see my Lord and my Savior? 
Father, Lord God, we just worship you today in the time we have. Such a time as this have you called your church and, and you, you, you've risen us up not to be comfortable, not to stay silent, but also not to walk in arrogance and pride and the flesh. We are to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit as the lion and the lamb, for we are your hands and your feet this side of heaven. You've said that your church is your chosen body to spread and be the gospel. So God, would we do it? This is not a time to be comfortable. This is not a time to be safe. This is not a time to hold back love or forgiveness or righteousness or repentance. For the time is here. The time is now and we see it. And Father, would your, would your church just say, yes, Lord, send me. That is our anthem today as we worship our risen Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.